0: Well, good morning to you. Welcome uh, to those of you over in the venue in the Wiggle Room. We're glad that you're here today as well. Um, I wanted to start today with two stories. The first story is about Maria. Maria returned home halfway through her college year, her first year of college. And as she came home, she had to share something with her parents that couldn't be discussed over the phone. But watching her mother's face was going to be the hardest thing she will have ever had to endure in her entire life. And as she sat down and she looked at her mother, as she started to share and she tried to speak, her shame and her guilt overtook her so much that nothing could come out. And as tears started to well up in her eyes and flow down her cheeks, her mother guessed it. She was pregnant. And as Maria shares, she says, I was a mess. I was living life for me, not worried about the consequences of my actions. Some of my closest friends were saying, Maria, you've gone a little too far. You're on the wild side. You're walking right into trouble. She would say, I was so wrapped up in living my life for me that I was having so much fun with my boyfriend. I mean, everything we did, everything I wanted to do was to be with him. She would say this. She would justify her actions by saying that if it feels good, do it. Maria's pregnancy would be considered a crisis pregnancy. She was young, unmarried, unemployed, and the father's involvement was limited at best. And in too many instances, in 2015, women just like Maria find themselves in that situation. And what they do is they walk through the doors of abortion clinics and they try to handle the situation all on their own. On the flip side... We have Natalie, and we have her husband, Joe. And they're sitting there in the doctor's office, and the doctor, with all exuberance and so excited, says, congratulations, you're pregnant. And Joe and Natalie, rather than saying, "woohoo," take a gulp and say, what are we going to do? And Joe's response was completely different than Natalie's response, as he's overwhelmed with the feelings of how are we financially going to be able to support this baby? And what starts to turn from what could be considered a joyous moment moment for some was a moment that would forever change their marriage. And as they went home, Joe would again and again and again look at Natalie and say, the only solution for our problem is to abort that baby. And Natalie, on the other hand, she's overwhelmed with emotions. She feels such guilt. She's dismayed that her husband would feel that way. But they're 35 years old, and they have three children, and Joe doesn't understand any other way to be able to provide for them but then to not have to worry about another child. Yet, this pregnancy would be considered an inconvenient pregnancy. A pregnancy that comes about in an untamely manner that's bothersome for all kinds of reasons. Reasons as simple as, well, the contraceptives didn't work. Um, Maybe they're too old or they don't want any more children in their home. Or that child that God is putting together in the womb is just going to be bothersome and ruin future plans. And what happens all too often is women with an inconvenient pregnancy, a pregnancy that is untimely or is not what they want, instead of seeking out godly counsel, instead of asking other people, what they do is they go just as they would go into a.m. p.m., They walk into Pregnancy Helps or Planned Parenthood or the Pregnancy Control Center and they take care of that inconvenience so that they could go about their normal, everyday life. We're in the midst of a series that's called How Do We Respond? As Christians, how do we respond to this abortion crisis going on in our society? And as I stand before you, And as we speak about abortion, so often we speak about the unborn child, and rightly so. But with abortion, there is a mother and there is a father involved. Conservative estimates say that one-third of all American women will have or have had or will have an abortion at some point in their lifetime. Maybe, even some of you here today in your past, have had an abortion or have led somebody else down the road toward an abortion. Maybe it was before you knew what God's love's letter said about abortion. And maybe today, as you sit here, as you hear me talk about abortion or as you see little babies out amongst your normal everyday life, the scab or the emotions of that decision just start to well up inside of you. And even in this moment, that pain feels so real. See, abortion has been called the silent killer, not only of babies, but of moms and of dads who possess deep wounds and long scars from a dark past history. So this morning, I want to be so sensitive to those of you that have walked down the road of abortion. Please understand this. I do not presume to even understand the emotions that you go through and the heartache that you experience even right now as I share what God has burdened me to share with every single one of you. Today, my aim is not to condemn you. My aim is not to scratch the stabs that for some of you, you might not want have ever revisited again. But can I speak into your life Can I speak into your heart today with the utmost of care and sympathy? Friend, there is no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. He loves you. He cherishes you. He forgives you of what you have done. The intent of our time together today is not so that I can take salt and put it in your raw wounds. Rather, so that we can have an open and an honest conversation about what is going on in our society, in particular with this abortion crisis in our world. And how do we, as Christ followers, respond to what our society is experiencing? Across the world today, there are 42 million abortions every single year. That equates to 115,000 children worldwide will die today. Those numbers are staggering. The fight is so overwhelming, but every number has a mother and a father. Every mother and father has a story. And every one of those stories matters to our God. Please, please don't miss this. The cause of the unborn is not some social justice goal of the church. It isn't something that American churches should get involved in so that we can make our membership feel good about itself. No, the cause of the unborn is a biblical issue. And I must acknowledge that in a group this size, There are some of you that are sitting here today, and you have absolutely no issue with abortion, and you would tell me that it's a woman's choice. And my friend, if you consider yourself pro-abortion today, I want to be so upfront with you, and I want to say to you with the utmost of sincerity and care that I truly believe that God's word says that abortion is wrong. And as you're sitting here today and as you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth, I want to challenge you if you view abortion as being okay. To open up your heart and open up your mind to hear what God might be speaking to you. And would you wrestle with that decision today? In the time that we have together, I want to look at abortion from a few different angles. And as we look at those angles, I want to give you some rubber meets the road facts and information both to equip you and to prepare you to be able to stand for the cause of life in our society. One of the arguments that the pro-abortion agenda normally uses is that it's a woman's right to choose what goes on with her body. And I agree that it is your body if you are a female. However, I completely disagree that it is just your body Because science proves that in a pregnancy, it is not just one body, but it is two bodies. In fact, through modern medicine, we've been able to hear not just one heartbeat, but two heartbeats as a mother is pregnant. Um, They've been able to determine that there's not just one set of brainwaves, but two set of brainwaves. And as they've gone down and studied the genetic code, they've noticed that in a pregnant mom, there's not just one set of DNA, Two sets of DNA. And at times there are two sets of blood types. And as we know women, there are men that exist. So it means that sometimes in the womb there are two different sexes. Quite honestly, the comparison between a woman's right and a baby's right is unequal. See, because what's at stake in abortion is a woman's lifestyle versus a baby's life. One of the ironies of femininity is that by its advocacy of abortion, it is endorsed one of the single most ways of robbing a woman of the most basic right, their right to life. It's not Christians. It's not pro lifers that are limiting the right of women. It's the pro abortion agenda that is limiting their rights, their rights of freedom as they grow up. Ironically, the choice of abortion ensures that 650,000 females this year will not be given the right to choose what they do with their bodies when they grow older right here in the United States. Listen to this. Abortion has become one of the primary means of eliminating unwanted females across the globe. A survey recently um, in India uncovered a frightening statistic. Of 10,000 new babies that were born in these 12 villages, only 50 of them were female. All the other females were aborted. Or what about this in Bombay? There were 8,000 tests that indicated that the women were pregnant with a female. And of those 8,000 tests that said that they were going to have a female, do you want to know how many of those survived? One. One. One baby survived, the other ones were aborted. Or what about this in China? Nearly two-thirds of all babies that are born today are male. And the statistics get even worse as you get into the Chinese countryside, where the ratio of more boy to girl being born is now four to one. More girls than boys are being killed by abortion. Because to kill a female is to kill a future woman. Jesus says this in John chapter 10. He says that the thief, the evil one, comes only to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. The evil one comes to steal the joy of childbearing from a woman. He comes to kill and destroy generations of Christ followers. How does he do that? By killing the very womb in which new Christ followers would be knit together for future generations. I think the author Randy Alcorn puts it so best. He says, there can be no equal rights for all women until there are equal rights for unborn women. Pro-abortionists also try to say that there isn't a baby in a mother's womb, rather that it's just a blob of tissue. Yet both scientifically and biblically, we find that this is a false assertion. Our God cares about His creation, about His life forms that He creates. In fact, if you search Scripture, you will find passage after passage about how our God values life, about how God's hand is upon His creation from the very moment that they are created before they ever experience a breath outside of a mother's womb. In fact, listen to what Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Notice a couple things here. In one single verse, there is so much power here. The first thing is that word before is used two different times. Two different times in this one verse, we see how God knew Jeremiah and and how he knows us before we ever take our first breath. What about this? The word I is used four different times. I I knew you. I consecrated you. I formed you. I appointed you. These indicate that it's not only God that is the one that is speaking, but he is the one that is at work in a mother's womb. What about this? Same verse. Five different times we see the word used. The word you used. Scripture shows us that in the womb is a person, not a blob, not a bunch of cells that the pro-abortion agenda tries to convince people. And I love this. At the very beginning of verse 5, it says, I formed you in the womb. And that word formed in the Hebrew is the same word that is used to describe a potter as they take a ball of clay and they form it into an amazing masterpiece. And that same Hebrew word is the exact same word that was used in Genesis chapter two, verse seven, where we read that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. Just as God purposely formed Adam from the dust of the earth, he too does his creative work in the womb. Psalm 139, verse 13 says, for you created my inmost being, You knit me together in my mother's womb. What a glorious picture Scripture gives us here. As it talks about how God literally knits together a baby in a mother's womb. As somebody takes and knits something together, what goes into it? It takes time. It takes attention to detail. And if somebody's going to spend that much time in that much detail, it means that they're throwing love into it. And in the same way, that's what our God does as he knits together that baby in a mother's womb. It's our God's labor of love, of his time, and of his attention to the most intricate of details. That's biblically, but what about scientifically? This is a model of a 10-week-old baby that God is knitting together in a mother's womb. At 10 weeks past conception, this baby's size can take and pass things through its small intestines. We're able to hear its heartbeat as it budum, dump ba only it's a lot faster for a little baby. Just three weeks later, we're able to determine if the baby is going to be a boy or a girl. Now look at this comparison. Just 10 weeks later, double the size, 10 weeks to 20 weeks, this is the size of a baby that's 20 weeks old. At 20 weeks old, we're able to see the little fingers and the little toes and even the toe nails. And did you know at this age, it is legal to abort a baby? But yet last year in our country, at 22 weeks, just two weeks later, two more weeks of being in the oven, over 5,000 babies survived that were born at 22 weeks. The thing that breaks my heart about this abortion crisis is that if a baby is outside of the womb, the medical professionals will do everything in their control to save the baby. But if it's inside the womb, they will do everything they can to make sure that that baby is never given the opportunity to live. Scripture says that we are God's image bearers. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female are God created them. The God that spoke the world into being created you and he created me to be his image bearers. He intricately knitted each one of us together in our mother's womb because he has a plan for you and he has a plan for me and every baby in a mother's womb. He has a purpose for every single one of his image bearers. But when we step back to that argument that all that is in a mother's womb is a blob of tissue, a blob of tissue doesn't have a heartbeat, a blob of tissue doesn't have fingers or toes. Because pro-abortion supporters know that if a baby is only viewed as a blob of tissue, there's no way that a mother would have an issue with it. But yet, when a mother or a couple start to understand that it is a life that is in their womb, everything changes. That's why our local pregnancy help center has been developing a mobile health clinic a motorhome filled with an ultrasound machine and everything they need so that they can go north, east, south, and west, all over this community to go into neighborhoods that need to see that that is actually a baby that is being knit together in that mother's womb. Listen to this statistic. 87% of women who see that it is actually a baby in their womb that were abortion vulnerable choose life. They realize that it's not a blob of tissue that our media and those that have an agenda try to say. They realize that it is a baby and they see it moving around in there and they want to know God's image bearer in their life. See, the statistics for abortion are overwhelming. Last year, it is estimated that 1.3 million babies were aborted in, in the United States. That is the equivalent of the population of Dallas, Texas being wiped off the map. On September 11th, 2001, nearly 3,000 people in our country lost their lives due to the terrorist attacks. And on that day, it seemed like the world stopped. All the news channels were focusing in on what happened in those cities. Sporting events were canceled. School things were canceled. So everybody could pay attention to what was going on on our soil. But yet today, on average, more babies will be aborted in one day than died on September 11th. Your life hasn't stopped. Our news media doesn't even cover it because it doesn't even fit with their agenda. I don't know if you've heard or seen those horrendous videos about Planned Parenthood um, taking and harvesting baby, baby parts from babies just like this so that they could make a couple bucks off of it. The thought of what they do is absolutely horrendous to me. In fact, it makes me sick to think about it. But our mainstream media has barely even covered the subject because it doesn't fit their agenda. And those that are speaking up today, those are the ones that are being accused of being against a woman's health. And they're the ones that are being vilified. Friend, who's going to speak up for the babies? Proverbs 31.8. To says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those that are being crushed. But as the church, I'm talking the capital C, big church, we have allowed the, uh, the cause of the unborn to become almost forgotten. We drive by abortion clinics and we think about what we're going to go to lunch rather than seeing those places shut down. Did you know that in Stockton there are five abortion clinics? From where you sit right now, there are two that are less than a mile away. One is just a stone's throw away at the corner of California and Alpine right over here. But I'm afraid that the American church as a whole hasn't done its part in living out Proverbs 31.8. As a church, we have sat back too long and we've allowed a modern day Holocaust to occur on our Watch. Friends, I know this is heavy. I know that this is overwhelming at times. But somebody has to do something about it. You might have heard the story about a church in Nazi Germany. Um, And maybe you've heard it before. But but I think it illustrates for us such a profound point that we need to get. Listen to this story. Um, One of the survivors said, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. I attended church since I was a small boy. We had heard the stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it, from the reality of what was taking place. What could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we would hear the whistle from a distance and then the clacking of the wheels moving over the track. We became disturbed, and one Sunday, we noticed cries coming from the train as it passed by. We grimly realized that that train was carrying Jews. They were like cattle in those cars. Week after week, the train whistle would blow. We would dread to hear the sound of those old wheels because we knew the Jews would begin to cry out as they passed by our church. It was so terribly disturbing. We could do nothing to help those poor, miserable people, yet their screams tormented us. We knew exactly at which time the whistle would blow, and we decided the only way that we could keep from being so disturbed by the cries was to start singing our hymns. By the time that train came rumbling past our churchyard, we were singing at the top of our voices. If some of the screams reached our ears, we would just sing a little bit louder until we could hear no more. Years have passed. And no one talks about it anymore. But I can still hear the train whistle in my sleep. I can still hear them crying out for help. God, forgive all of us who call ourselves Christians. Yet did nothing to intervene. He says the screams tormented us. He said if some of the screams reached their ears, they would sing a little bit louder. Friend, The American church is no different than that church was in Nazi Germany. We sing a little bit louder. We stay comfortable in our little existence a little bit longer so that we, too, don't have to acknowledge that we are living through a modern-day Holocaust. The only difference is, this Holocaust is ten times as many lives lost. And it's on our watch. So how do we respond? What do we do? I mean, when you think about it, the numbers are staggering. The pro-abortion agenda is so entrenched in our media. The procedure is legal, and our president is so staunchly pro-abortion. So we tell ourselves we don't have a voice. There's nothing that we can do about it. We are powerless. Friend, the most powerful thing that you can do is also the most simple. It is pray. Pray for this nation. Pray for the cause of life. Pray that the leaders in this country would put politics aside and protect the lives of future Americans. Pray that Roe versus Wade would be overturned and that all of God's image bearers would be protected. Maybe a simple action step for you could be to join other churches in our community as together we all take part in 40 Days for Life. 40 days set aside where all the churches come together to pray in front of abortion clinics one hour at a time to see abortion ended in our community. Side note, do you know what the people at Planned Parenthood call 40 days for life? They call it 40 days of hell. And I think that that is one of the most profound statements because when God's people unite, when God's people unite in prayer, you know what's going to happen to abortion? It's going to go to the pit of hell where it belongs. Here's the thing. Maybe your action step is beyond just praying. Maybe it's time that we as the church step up and we start writing letters to our legislative leaders, that we start petitioning for change. Maybe you're sitting here today and God is stirring within you that you would step up and maybe you run for an office so that you can speak up for those that can't speak for themselves. Maybe your action step is to get involved with our local pregnancy help center. Right after service today out in the Welcome Center, um, we have a great team of people from our pregnancy help center. They're, They're available to be able to give you so much more information than I can give in a sermon here. And maybe if your action step is to step in and and pray as part of 40 Days for Life, you can see those people out there and they'll tell you how you can get involved. Or maybe you want to volunteer. You want to jump into that life-saving ministry. Talk to the people at the table. They would love to help you. If you're in the venue, it's right outside the door. We also can get involved in a personal level. And sometimes that personal level comes right to you. We have a couple in our church today who has a young cousin who found herself in a crisis pregnancy. While everyone else in her life was saying, you should abort, you should abort, you should abort, this couple has come right alongside her to encourage her, to love her. And in a matter of days when that baby is going to be born, this couple is actually going to adopt that baby and give it a forever home because that child deserved a chance at life. You can give God a round of applause on that one. I'm sorry, that is amazing. Remember at the beginning of our time together today, I shared Maria's story of a crisis pregnancy and I showed about Natalie and Joe's inconvenient pregnancy. If someone in their situation was to come to you, how would you respond? I mean, what if Maria or Natalie was your daughter, was your friend, was your sister? What do you say? What do you do? Do you just sit back and say nothing at all because you don't know what to say? Or do you say as though God has burdened you to say something? My first response would be this. You can't sit back and say nothing at all. Somebody has to be willing to speak up and stand for these babies. Somebody in the church has to be willing to truly live out Proverbs 31, eight to speak up for those that can't speak for themselves. Someone needs to be willing to be an advocate in 2015, but in our age of political correctness, with our concern of not offending anyone, we've been so conditioned to say nothing at all. Friend, I believe this with all of my heart. Saying nothing at all is the most offensive thing that you could do. So when you're led to speak up, or when the Natalie or Maria in your life comes to you and asks you for godly counsel and asks you for advice. What do you say? What do you do? The first and the most important thing, as I give you very practical rubber meets the road kind of ideas, is pray. Pray that God would give you the discernment on what to say, that God would give you the grace and the insight to be able to speak into this person's life. You must remember that somebody that is dealing with an unwanted pregnancy is extremely sensitive and highly emotional. A situation that for many of us that are sitting here today, we feel ill-equipped and as though we lack knowledge to share. But if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you have everything that you need to be the mouthpiece of Almighty God. So we engage the mother or the couple's heart. We seek to understand where they come from. We don't condemn them. We don't verbally abuse them. We don't belittle them. Their emotional state is so raw and often their sensitivity is so heightened that in some cases, the best thing that you could ever do would be to listen. James chapter nine, verse 19 says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. And finally, when the time is right, to share, to explain to him that even though you've made a mistake, that child is not a mistake. God is not surprised by the creation of a new life. He is the creator, it is, and it is he who creates that he loves. Therefore, nothing will separate you or your baby from the love of God. I love Romans chapter 8. says, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As you engage with this person, as you engage with this couple, you could share with them that our God is the author of life. We read that in Deuteronomy chapter 32. That our God creates every single life. And that with every single life that he creates, he has a plan for his creation. From God's perspective, all pregnancies are a result of him. And as a result are wanted by him. For many women, in particular a woman that is in a crisis pregnancy, they're so fearful of people's reactions. They don't know how to handle how people are going to react to the news that they are with child, whether it's from their boyfriend or spouse, their families, their friends, and for some even from the church. They're afraid for their futures, They don't know where to turn. And it's in that instance, whether the person is non Christian or Christian, that we point them directly to the foot of the cross, that we point them directly to Jesus Christ. Because being scared is understandable. The mother to be is dealing with physical, emotional, spiritual, and even some social changes all at once. And in most cases, they don't even know what in the world they've gotten themselves into, they're not prepared. And it's in those times that we focus on the compassion of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, the judgmental leaders of Israel come before Jesus and they bring this woman who has been caught in adultery. And they ask Jesus what they're supposed to do according to the law. Should they stone this woman? But yet, our Jesus did not condemn her. At the same time, he told her to leave her life of sin. His primary concern was actually not her sin. But her soul. She needed a changed life and she got it through Jesus Christ. A woman or a couple facing a crisis or an inconvenient pregnancy needs not judgmental condemnation from Christians, they need the compassion of Jesus Christ in their lives. And there is no better person to introduce them to our compassionate Jesus than you that they've trusted to share their story with. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. It says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This morning, in the time that we've had together, I've barely been able to scratch the surface on all of the biblical facts surrounding abortion. It's not that the facts that abor- about abortion are not important to me. We need to be well-informed as Christians, to be able to intelligently and effectively defend the cause of life and to see change in our society. But facts don't have names. Every abortion is about a name. It's about a woman. It's about a man. It's about a baby that all matter to our God. And my prayer is that when God brings someone into your life that is abortion vulnerable, that you will trust in the leading of the Holy Spirit in such a way that you will be bold enough to speak truth into their life. Friend, while we might be in an uphill battle with our society, in reality, the battle is being waged one mom, one dad, and one baby at a time. And so as God gives you the opportunity to speak truth and to speak life into that mom or that couple's situation. My prayer is that you will make an eternal impact in their lives, and that as a result of your boldness, more babies will be given the opportunity at life. Join me in prayer this morning. Father God, as I think about the abortion crisis in our country, it breaks my heart And so, Father, today, in the name of Jesus, as a united church, God, we pray for the end of abortion. We pray, God, that you will shut the doors of Planned Parenthood, not just in this community, but in communities across this nation, and that as a result, Father, more people will come to know you, and that more babies will be given the opportunity to live and have life, to carry out the plan and the purpose that you intended for every single one of them. God, for those that are here today that are contemplating abortion, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will open up their hearts and you will open up their minds to, God, the plan that you have for them and for that baby. And yes, it might be hard. Yes, it might be uncomfortable to share that story. God, I pray that you will bring godly people around those individuals to support them in the name of Jesus, to walk with them, just as the Pregnancy Help Center walks with so many women in that exact situation day in and day out of their ministry. But God, even today, for those that maybe walked down that road of abortion in their past, God, we know that you are a forgiving God and you have already offered grace and you have wiped it away but for those that are here today, God, that cannot forgive themselves, God, I pray that they will experience your forgiveness in a whole new way that they never have before, and that, God, they can walk away from this place today forgiven and free as a new person, and that, God, they can use that experience to impact the lives of generations to come as they share about who you are and what a forgiving God you are. And, God, I pray for every single one of us as we continue to live out this idea of responding in Christ's love, that, God, you will give us the boldness and that you will give us the words to share with whoever it is that you bring in our lives, whether it's an abortion-vulnerable person or whoever it is that, God, we will trust in the leading of your Holy Spirit in such a way, God, as to speak truth and speak life into their lives. God, we pray for the end of the abortion crisis in this country, and it's only going to happen through your hand, and we trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.